Hi, my name is Londe Yusuf. And my name is Reggie Williams. And we're the co-founders of Black Film Space. Black Film Space is a grassroots organization dedicated to enhancing the skill sets of black filmmakers and building a community of creatives. We host events such as screenwriting workshops, panels, mixers, and other events that are designed to support black content creators. In the next episode of the Black Film Space podcast, we interview Nikki Robinson, a publicist. Nikki is the founder and president of Good Girl PR in the Bed-Stuy Film Festival. We talk with Nikki about building your brand, when is the right time to seek publicity for your films, the benefits of film festivals during COVID, and much more. And now, on to our interview. All right, Nikki, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Film Space podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome. How are you? Doing doing good, uh, all things considered. If you're listening to this podcast, this is the day after the election, so we're uh, <laughs> you know we're we're figuring it out. Um, yeah, but about like one, did we know yet? <laughs> no, we no. don't. As of this recording, we don't know. But um, but let's talk about publicity. That's why you're here. It's because you're okay. a publicist, um, publicist. And uh, you've got your own agency. How did you start? How and why did you start your own agency? Good question. So uh, at that time, I was working at Deutsche Bank in their compliance department. I was um, assistant VP of policies and procedures, and I was bored out of my mind. And I needed an outlet, and I had always wanted to DJ. So I taught myself how to DJ, and then I realized, how do I, like, boost this DJ career that I just started. So I created Good Girl PR to be my publicist. So it was actually supposed to be a joke. And I started doing PR for myself. And my first big event was um, VH1 Hip Hop Honors. I did the after party. Oh, wow. From that one, everybody wanted me to be their publicist. <laughs> How did you get that gig as like your first opportunity? Well, I worked at Viacom in law school um, while I was clerking at a law firm in Denver, Colorado. I met the man who was one of the part owners of Viacom. So that would be Brent Redstone, Sumner Redstone's son. And he was a very interesting man. And, you know, you know me, I'm pretty outgoing. So I probably sparked the conversation up with him in the elevator, not knowing who he was. And right. through a liking of me and one day he was like hey where would you like to work after you graduate from law school i was like oh i would love to work for mtv and he's like oh my dad owns mtv mm. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it's so important to treat everybody you know kindly you never know who might help you which is um the moral of that story so i ended up working at viacom in their legal tax department and i had a beautiful office with the view Everyone treated me so well because, of course, I got walked in by one of the Redstones. And so I kind of leveraged those relationships to build my VH1 relationship. And so I just asked for what I wanted and they gave it to me. That's how you got to do it. You got to. Uh, yes. The closed mouth does not get fed. You going to say something, London? Not- yeah, I was going to say, what do you think it was about your performance at that VH1 event that made people want to continue to bring you on as a publicist? Well, I think because it was well organized, you know, I'm coming from Wall Street. So, of course, I have organizational skills. I had been party promoting since college, even throwing parties during high school, honestly, in art walks and it being organized and then it having wide uh, media coverage. So I think we made the Amsterdam News. We got some television. It was just a great look. And did you just teach yourself how to do publicity through that event? Like, how did you learn how to be a publicist? Well, I mean, I didn't think a PR event was any different than like throwing a party. So I had always uh, thrown parties, right? Um, so the only difference between party promoting and this red carpet event was the red carpet and the banner. So I just got the red carpet and created the banner and did it kind of on a whim and it worked. Got you. Okay. So. What are your requirements to take on a, a client, a new client? Like, are there certain expectations or standards that, that you would expect um, in order to take on a new client? So 
through public relations, I learned the importance of like emotional intelligence because of course I went to law school and I, you know, went to undergrad and that's very like book based, like studying um, and not really dealing with personalities and people. So I would say over the past 12 years, I've kind of developed a skill of determining who would be good to work with and who would not be good to work with. It's kind of like an energy thing. So I pride myself on not taking everyone's money. Like a lot of people want me to be their publicist, but I don't always take everyone on, especially if I don't, if I know it won't be a good like personality fit. Mm. Meaning um, we, we operate, you know, a PR agency and I do have a team of people, but we also have to understand that, you know, we don't work 24 seven and people have to have reasonable expectations. So at the onset of a contract, I can kind of tell people are going to, you know, move in a certain way, be professional, um, have patience, understanding, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever hired a publicist, but I'm not one to go, I don't go missing in action, right? I'm mm -hmm. always available. But because I'm always available, that doesn't necessarily mean um, I want to get a text at two o'clock in the morning about something that could have waited till the next day at nine o'clock, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, for me, I just want, being that I offer such affordable prices, I want people to just value my time. And yeah. so I can tell when people will value my time or when they won't value my time. And you can kind of tell that through the whole contract negotiation process. Um, and then if the contract negotiation project pro process goes to the left, I know what the result will be. And if it goes to the right, I know what the result will be. And then I move accordingly. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, that 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 definitely does. Um, at this point, I want to expound on that in regards to you know in, independent filmmakers. Uh, let's say there's a, a a filmmaker who's who made an independent movie, a, a micro budget movie, or a web series. Um, how can that filmmaker determine whether or not it's even worth them having a publicist? You know, let's say I make a, a, a web series or a film and I'm like, OK, I want this to get out to shadow and act and I want it to be on the breakfast club and all this, that and the third. How does a filmmaker determine whether or not they should even reach out to a publicist? I would say that a filmmaker should reach out to a publicist when they have a finished product, because we don't want to start doing PR for something that that's not complete. Right. So you filmed your project, it's packaged, right? It's available for viewing, whether it be a private link or a public link. Um, now we start doing PR. So basically you need a finished product. Every business, no matter what it is, whether it be a beauty salon, a tech company or a film, you always need PR. That's how you get the word out, right? But I think that sometimes people start PR prematurely prematurely or they started uh, too late. So before you launch your film and kind of share it with the world, you want to do a press release for it. You want to pitch it to different media outlets. Ultimately, in my experience, when people have sold their web series or sold their, their film, it's because that particular, you know, lifetime channel or, you know, whatever TV station you know, sees all these press clippings and it makes them more interested in the project, right? Mm -hmm. um, when you don't have anything online, sometimes it can make it more difficult to sell your product project. But if you have a buzz and press, then I think the purchaser would be more enthusiastic about um, working with you. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I guess also what, well, actually, before I even get to that next question, what do you mean by packaging? What does that What does that entail? What does that include? Meaning, like, I worked on a web series called In Between Men, and the producer and their team actually filmed all the episodes, so they had a whole finished season, did PR for it, and then television stations were reaching out to them to buy it. So they pushed it out on YouTube, but then they did press for it and then they got 
the interest of um, some television channels who were interested in, you know, actually spending millions of dollars on this project. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with um, the movie that I worked on showing roots with Uzo Adoba, Cecily Tyson and Elizabeth McGovern. Again, I actually helped package that film, meaning like the film was done. We did a website, you know, social media, PR, you know, some film festivals. And then we did a whole premiere event and then they sold the film's lifetime for millions of dollars. So certain people who have larger budgets understand the importance of PR and doing PR for their projects before they've made any money because they eventually know that they'll get a return on investment and sell it later. Um, Would you take on the same process for like a short film? And if so, how can a filmmaker like really leverage that? Do you think it's better for them to have like a feature project? No, I think you should always do PR for any of your complete, you know, projects. Um, It should be a part of your normal um, wheelhouse to do PR for everything that you completed and that you put put in the public eye. So no matter if it's a web series or short film or feature film, you should always do a press release and do a press push to try to get as many um, outlets to cover your film. And then that will open up more opportunities for you, whether it be more film festivals, whether it be, you know, signing some type of deal, um, or it could just be building the, your buzz as, you know, a director or a screenwriter, right? You should always do press, no matter what the project is. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, I so, think people, go sorry, ahead. No, go ahead. An investment, so. Wait, say that again? Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think people realize that it's an investment. Like sometimes people lean on like um, getting press from the film festivals, but based on my experience and the people who have hired me, they don't depend on the film festivals to get them press. They also get their own press. Right. I think part of it for indie filmmakers is that they can't afford publicists or they think that they can't budget, you know, a publicist within whatever they've spent. Um, so like, what do you, how, how, how would you recommend a filmmaker leverage that with a publicist? Like, should they work with a budding publicist because that person may not have the press relationships that someone who's more established would have that they wouldn't be able to afford? Well, no, I think a press release, you could write it yourself and a press release wire is only two ninety nine. It's just you being willing to invest in yourself. I don't, personally, I don't think two ninety nine is a lot of money. Um, if I've worked this hard to complete a film and it's, you know, it's done and it's it's on the internet, like why not invest two ninety nine into yourself and putting out your press release and see who picks it up? Right, 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 right. No, that's fair. That's fair. That totally makes sense. And if you don't have the money cut back on food for the month, like there's ways you can cut down on stuff. Don't pay your cable bill. Like net, I like, I'm just not, I'm a risk taker. So I'm just like, don't understand when people don't have money to do stuff. But it's like, you know, can you miss a couple meals? Yes. Okay. So like make a sacrifice and invest in yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's that that grind. we're starving and you know we're just skin and bones right fast fast for 30 days how about that Mm. is that much hey for your press release i hear that wow so what (laughs) what what website should they go on to submit their press release um you could do e-releases you can do scission scission is like 1200 dollars, i think e-releases is 299 for like 400 words um there's free press release wires out there too for people who just have no money ever. Um, I'm being sorry because I just, like I said, people just have to make a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's plenty of outlets to get your press release out free, paid, and like super expensive. What's been like one of the harder movie topics uh, to get press for? Well, I think anything that's black related is always hard to get pressed for. Mm. Uh, it's like whenever you're dealing with a black film, it's like you have to stick with the whole, you know, they label it as the minority niche media 
outlets mm-hmm. like your essence, you know, your griot, the root, you know, it's like, can't we go beyond that? Um, so I think anything that's about us, they like to keep in like the black or minority magazine or media section. Um, however, I tend to be quite aggressive. And so I don't really take no for an answer. So I'm going to pitch a Hollywood reporter or a deadline or an indie wire. And I'm going to get the placement. And if I don't like what they write, I'm going to get them to change it. I've done that before too. Mm. Mm. And you've done this for people who weren't well known in the business? Yeah, for myself, because you know, at the Bedside Film Festival and yeah, for clients, like with people write about things that I don't like the way it's written, I'll call them and say, change it. Wow. I realize I also went to law school. So it's like, I kind of know how to get my way. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. So, because this, you know, I think a lot, I've heard from publicists, like, you know, you should work on getting your name out there and then hire a publicist because you know, then it'll, it'll be worth the publicist's time to pitch your name and get it out there to like, say a Hollywood reporter or, you know, any other like industry related website. Um, so I know that we should, you know, you recommend that people should hire publicists at any point, but shouldn't they be more realistic about, and again, you know, you can correct me on this, about the outlets that they pitch to, um, like measuring it more for like local papers, or, or, you know, local press, focusing more on that, especially for someone who's like a beginner? I mean, I personally think you should go for the gusto every time. I don't think you should ever limit yourself. Go for every outlet possible. If the content is there and the movie's good, they're going to pick it up. I don't care if you don't have a name or not. Okay. okay. The key is getting them to actually look at the content and judge it for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. That takes massaging sometimes and a little bit of persistence without being annoying, but it's totally feasible. Okay. I mean, you're talking to somebody who started a PR company as a joke, you know, and just asked to do a party. So like, I don't take no for an answer. Yeah. I mean, that's rare. <laughs> like most people do, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at the Bedside Film Festival press. I got IndieWire, News 12, The Source, Hip Hop Wire. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a film festival for people of color, you know? Um, I know I got more than that. So it's like, I think I got MSN, Yahoo. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't limit myself ever with anything that I do. I mean, that's, that's a great mentality to have. It is. Nikki can't relate. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we, we definitely want to ask you uh, more about the, the Bed-Stuy Film Festival. Um, but I had a question about branding and your thoughts on the state of branding when it comes to artists and creatives Um branding themselves as different different types of artists or different types of like multi hyphenated and um i guess where where you you know where are we at with that and d- d- does someone need to uh brand themselves in one way succeed in that and then pivot to something else if they if they desire that yeah i guess you're talking to the person who has like a bunch of brands so I say you can brand everything at the same time. You just have to be accountable to each of the brands. So suppose you have three things going on. Um, you're an interior designer, you're a director, and you're a mom, okay? So that's three different brands. You could be a mommy influencer, you're a director, and you, know, you make your money by doing interior design. You have a social media page you can either choose to separate those three brands and develop them all separately, or you can put them all on one page and just make sure that your page is a mix, an even mix of all those three things to push the messaging. So when I first started, people in the industry told me I had to do one thing, right? 
people would tell me I was doing too much. But yet these same people wanted to stay at my apartment, right? I'm doing too much, but you want to stay at my place or you need my help finding a job, right? Mm. But am I really doing too much because you're asking me for help and I'm taking care of myself? So you have to do what you have to do to survive. So that means you have to have three things going on, have three things going on. It's all about you loving yourself and you being intentional in your goals, right? You don't have to answer to anyone but yourself. But my thing is, no matter if you're doing one thing or 10 things, just be consistent. Yeah. You have to be accountable to your goal, period. Yeah, so I, I, I understand that. And I'm just curious to what you think because 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I felt like the standard was you do have to do one thing. And then if you do that one thing, maybe if you're lucky, maybe if you're ultra successful, you can pivot to something else. Whereas nowadays, there's somebody that I follow on Instagram and she's uh, like a, I think she's some sort of designer or a st- she's a stylist, but she's also like a social activist. And she's more known for social activism than she is to, for being a stylist. So how how is that? What do you think has made that um, permissible in 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 twenty twenty? I think it's people like Jay Z and and Diddy. You know, Diddy was a producer, but he does was he really producing? No. Then he was a rapper. Was he the best rapper? No. Um, then he started doing Sean John. Was he a fashion designer? No. Right. Mm-hmm. And then now he's doing Ciroc. So it's like, if someone like him can do all these different things and not be the best at it, why can't we do different things and be the best at it? Yeah, but he was ultra sick. Like he was, he was like, in, in regards to rap, the rap industry, he was a list. He was as big as it gets. So I could see him pivoting to other things. But a lot of people uh, nowadays are, you know, they're they're building their following on social media, and. Um, See, personally, I just don't feel like we're any different than Diddy. Mm. I don't think. Not at all. I mean, he didn't graduate from college. He interned. um, He played his position and he built a team. And if you want to do multiple things, eventually you're going to need to build a team and empower other people. Right. So if you have an interior design business, you're a mom and you're a director maybe your entire design business grows and then you hire a junior interior designer, right? Ultimately, when we're building brands, we're also building businesses. It's not supposed to be a solo show forever. You're supposed to add to your team. Mm -hmm. So how are you able to accomplish many things at one time? I mean, set the intention on those three things, but then also build yourself up and then add to your team Mm -hmm. and delegate. And then eventually it turns into a management type situation. No different than creating a film isn't it all like just project management yeah so that's you have to project manage everything that you're branding yeah i agree building it out as you go along yeah so operating everything as a business your brand is a business you know think about all the people who focus on one thing during covid a lot of these people are struggling right now because they focus on one thing mm-hmm Oh, I'm a DJ. I'm just going to focus on DJing. I've heard DJs. You just need to focus on DJing. But the same people who say that, they can't make any money right now. Mm. Yeah. No, so, true. speaking of COVID, has has there been any changes into uh, publicity during this time? Or do you think anything will change moving forward? I've never been so busy. <laughs> just because we're helping businesses pivot during COVID and, and keep the lights on PR is important because you want people to choose you, um, choose your products or choose your salon or choose your brand over other brands. And how do you do that through PR and social media? Everyone's online. So during COVID while everyone else is like freaked out and, you know, and having anxiety, I just chose to work every night till three o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, creating ways to resonate with my audience. Like I did a thing called Small Business Saturdays. I started something called Cocktails with Nikki, 
um, I was doing virtual events with Essence Magazine and kind of learned a lot about our audience and what they pay attention to and the power of digital marketing. And it worked for me. So we can't always do things the same way. You have to be able to adapt and pivot. And sometimes you can't get sucked, in, sucked up into worry. Oh, I don't have enough money or, oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. Be grateful for what you have now and put in some sweat equity to get it done. Totally. Got you. I'm kind of hardcore, I think. What'd you <laughs> say? I think I might be kind of hardcore. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, but it it can work for some people. Like it may not work for everybody, but I do think there are some people that need to hear what you're saying that need to push themselves you know, to get to that next level. Like this is a super competitive, this is a cutthroat industry that we're in. Everybody wants to be an A-list director or actor or screenwriter, whatever it is. And people need to bust their asses if they want to, you know, take their career to the next level at some capacity. They, you know, so whether, whether they're as conscious about it as you are uh, or they just have that, it's just innate within them. You know, so it's good that, you know, you're you're expressing how you you uh, your your work ethic, you know. Well, I forgot something. Um, you guys know Pete Chapman, right? Yep. Yeah. So, so when I first started DJing, Pete Chapman helped me write press releases. Oh, wow. So Some principal a publicist background. No. Okay. <laughs> he helped me. Wow. OK. Yeah. Totally. He totally helped me out. And I kind of just, when you say where I learned, I forgot about it. He helped me write some press releases. I was DJing at the 4040 Club. And he helped me with my press releases. Dope. Hmm. You just leaned on your network, basically. Yeah. 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 That's how you got to do it. That's how you got to do it. Do you think that same, like, networking, supportive environment, is in existence now versus like when you were, you know, coming up and spreading as a publicist? You know what? I admit since COVID, I've been very like limited. I probably talk to you guys more than I talk to anyone else. Mm. Seriously. Um, within my network, I definitely empower my team. Right. Because I, I trust them and they're reliable and, I'm loyal to those who are loyal to me, but I do think that people are looking out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. But luckily I kind of built this uh, company where it's like, I can kind of lean on myself, you know? Um, what do you mean by that? I, meaning like if I want press, I can just go get press. Mm -hmm. Or if I want something designed, I can get it designed. Um, does that make sense? Like, I don't, everything is very self-contained. Like, I went to law school. I can write my own contracts. Mm. Right, right. So See, I'm very self-reliant. Got you. Got it. Got it. What do you, so for someone who wants to be a publicist in the entertainment, film, television space in particular, um, how would you recommend they start off even though your path wasn't as conventional. You mean as far as producing or PR? No, I mean like if they want to do publicity for filmmakers. That's a good point. It, without like a bachelor's or a master's, right? Or just, just generally speaking, like what yeah. is there like a path that is commonly taken to get to be, become a publicist? You know what? I wouldn't know because, again, like I went to law school and kind of like was a sponge and kind of taught myself. I think I bought PR for dummies. Got it. In that. <laughs> um, as well as like leveraging the press releases that I said someone like Pete helped me with. Um, and just kind of pay attention, paying, paying attention to other publicists around me and seeing what they did. Mm-hmm. But I admit in the industry, it felt like at that time, more publicists were doing more events 
and there weren't so many black publicists out there who were actually getting media placement. You know, there's a difference between like the whole red carpet publicists and the publicists who can actually help businesses grow. Um, so it seems like I started off as being that party publicist and doing the red carpet stuff, right? But I've kind of evolved into like a business publicist, like billionaires will hire me to do PR for them often mm, mm. and press releases. Um, because I, you know, I went to law school, so I have good writing skills. So have I ever written about the product that they're offering? No, but I can figure it out. Right. So you asked, I would say intern for a PR company. PR companies are always looking for interns and then do that for like six months to a year. And then, you know, leverage that experience and trying to get your own clients. Mm -hmm. Google sample press releases from PR Newswire, right? We're not reinventing the wheel. So as you know, in college, we learned how to paraphrase, right? We never wanted to plagiarize anything. We always wanted to paraphrase, correct? Right. I never so, did that. <laughs> I hope you did. I'm listening. When you, when you, you wrote never wrote <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. He's just messing with you. Go ahead. <laughs> Point is, is like if you if you get a sample press release, you kind of see the body of the press release. You kind of see how the press release is written, right? Mm -hmm. You can translate those options for what you're writing and your subject matter, right? And do mm -hmm. the same thing. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, would you have another follow up question, Londe? No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, um. With regards to social media, uh, what are some some common faux pas that you see um, when people are building out their social media accounts? And what what are like some just some good common practices? I'll be honest with you. I look at other publicist pages and I think Sometimes I feel like I'm too conservative because I see everyone on there half naked. It seems like just people feel like they sex sales, right? Yeah, it does. And the more skin you show, I feel like the more um, followers you have and the more likes you get. And something someone said resonated with me once. She said, because at that time I had had a baby and I was a little bit overweight. And basically this person kind of alluded to the fact that I can't be an entertainment publicist because I'm a little bit overweight. Mm. And that this person, what? her body certain way because she's trying to do, you know, do certain types of PR or be, um, attract certain types of clients. And I'm thinking to myself, I want those clients too. You know, just because I don't have a fake butt or I didn't get lipo doesn't mean that I can't be a, a music publicist or entertainment publicist. So I would say just like not being this narcissist who's always posting body pictures has been a constant dilemma for me just because I just see that's what, you know, I see other publicists twerking and I'm like, what does that have to do with PR? Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy how that's like a part of like that's a major branding tool now for across the board, regardless of the industry. Um, well, I strategically started a brand called Fit Publicist to kind of like number one show everyone that I don't have to be a mom and be frumpy forever. Mm -hmm. So of course I've lost the baby weight and I'm probably in the best shape of my life. So if I do post any skin, it's because I'm associating it with my fitness, my Fit Publicist hashtag which is again a joke it's me proving a point like you say i was going to be fat and like not attract certain clients forever but now look at me like i'm the best shape of my life i do stuff like that to prove points by the way you guys i don't mm. like when people tell me to do something mm. so if i ever post those type of pictures it's like in the uh, framework of me working out and i've been working out for years before people thought it was cool to work out so it's nothing new um but that's kind of how I do it without being so obnoxious or like thirsty with posting, you know, body shot. Gotcha. So I'm also empowering people to work out at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Are there, are there any, but that's again, 
that's what I'm we sorry. We talked about it. It's kind of we talked about it. That's kind of like how you have multiple brands. I have like the fit publicist, mm-hmm. you know, but I can't be a fit publicist because what? I'm a mom and I'm a publicist. You know what I mean? Or in a DJ? No, I'm the fit publicist, and I've been branding myself that for the past six years, mm. and I've been consistent with it. Um. So let's talk about why you decided to create a film festival. Well, after doing PR for like two major films, I realized it was all about who you know and having the money to produce the films, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the content is not even that good, but you have the money to produce the film. Mm-hmm. And yes. I thought to myself, if I start the film festival, I can develop relationships in the film industry. So if I meet filmmakers who want to produce a film, I can help them. So Bedside Film Festival really was a way to like build my network, but also staying true to me being a black woman and wanting to help uh, filmmakers of color. I don't know if you know this, but I went to school in West Hollywood um, with Hollywood people um, all my life. So I've been in Hollywood, you know, and I noticed that it's it's a very tight circle and they kind of help each other. So with that being said, it's like, how do we help each other? How do we support, you know, our peers films or how do we help each other? Similar to what you guys were doing with black film space, you know, creating like just a network of people who have a common mission, right? So Mm -hmm. again, it's just to build relationships and to empower people. Awesome. And and is there a reason why you decided to focus on Bed-Stuy? Well, at that time, I was doing a lot of work in Bed-Stuy, PR work with various businesses. And at that time, there was no Bed-Stuy Film Festival. Um, so I started it. And initially, I wanted to partner with um, the people who started the Bed-Stuy Crown Heights Film Festival. Um, but they didn't want to partner with me. So I just started my own. And what, what did you learn about, I mean, I know you talked about the power of networking, um, but did you learn anything also about like just films in general through this film festival? Well, I learned that there's quite a voluminous amount of filmmakers and the content can be quite overwhelming and that having a film festival is not as easy as it seems because you have to literally um, go through all of that content and, and watch it and, you know, preview it and assess whether you want it to be a part of your film festival. So I think I learned that um, the film festival takes a lot of time <laughs> um, as far as content is concerned and that from year to year, I can curate an experience that's unique to the viewer, which is a very powerful tool. Um as far as filmmakers, I just feel like everyone has their own flavor and their own eye. And it's just interesting to see how other people look at the world and how they memorialize that into a body of work. So I'm appreciative of the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to review their films. What type of submissions are you looking for? What type of films are you looking for? We like um, short films, documentaries, and feature films Mm -hmm. as well. This year, um, we normally have a children's category. This this year, we didn't have that. But uh, I would say those are the three buckets and um, children's films as well. Any particular subgenre or any type of filmmaker that you're looking for? Is it? Is it just for black filmmakers? I would say minority filmmakers, so so just color. However, we don't necessarily discriminate or not allow submissions from all all walks of life. Yeah. Gotcha. And what's your goal for the film festival? Like is it a festival that, you know, you want to expand into other types of programming or do you want to just focus on exhibiting films? Like, where do you see it going? Good question. I think that going forward, I would like it to be a hybrid event. So um, after COVID, of course, we would have in-person screenings, but 
now understanding the power of doing virtual and being able to uh, connect with people all over the world, I think it would be a disservice not to also do an online component. Um, so we're gearing up for more of a hybrid type of format going forward. What's the, what, what is the benefit of submitting to a film festival during COVID? Um, because, you know, typically in a pre COVID, you submit your movie to the festival, you get in, you screen it, you network, you meet people. For me, a lot of the main reason why I'm going to a film festival is to meet people. Right. So if everything is digitally or, you know, at this time, most the film festivals are digital and it might be like that for the foreseeable future. What is the benefit of submitting to a film festival or submitting to the bed Film Festival? Again, it's kind of like DJing, right? So if you're a DJ, you might not be the best DJ, right? But you're in front of 10,000 people. You're going to get more opportunities in front of 10,000 people as compared to the DJ that's super dope who's performing it in front of 100 people. So by doing these virtual film festivals and submitting your, your films during COVID-19, Again, you're having, hopefully, if the film festival is doing good PR and marketing promotion, you're getting more eyes on your on your work. Mm -hmm. And you're creating um, a buzz branding and creating fans who want to follow you on social or, or keep up with your work, right? You want to create fans. Um, it's all about being seen and heard, right? Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part. Yeah. And again, I, I see people with a lot of laurels and on their film festivals, but ultimately, like, who's actually watching it? Yeah. That's the one. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And normally those film festivals need a good PR team. And luckily, I own a PR company, so I was able to do that for the Bedside Film Festival. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I mean, on average, if you're in a film festival, how many articles do you get? You gotta you gotta bust ass to to get it out there. Yeah, yeah. The films that I did got like four or five. You know, mm -hmm. that I don't think that's the norm. Yeah. You know, one thing that I learned about film festivals, well, not digital but in person, is making sure you go to like the opening night so that you can walk the red carpet because there's a lot of press there. And a lot of times filmmakers miss that, you know, they just kind of go to their screenings and then maybe like a few workshops that interest them and, and kind of keep it pushing. Um, you know, have, have your clients benefited from that too? Um, I think for the Bed-Stuy Film Festival, I didn't really have the first one. I got like a lot of TV coverage, but I didn't necessarily get the Getty and the Wire image coverage because sometimes it's hard to get them to come out to Brooklyn. Now, if I'm doing an event, a film event in Manhattan, everyone's going to be there. I think my film um, premiere event for Showing Roots, I got the SVA theater for free, by the way. Mm. I asked for it and I got it for free. Mm. Nice. Wow. Full wow. red carpet and it was widely covered by Getty and Wire Image. Mm. So it's, if I'm in the city, I'm going to get all the press I want, whether it be online, you know, photo togs. At the event. but Brooklyn can be difficult. Um, Brooklyn can be what? Brooklyn be, can be kind of difficult. Sometimes photo talks don't want to come to Brooklyn unless the celebrities there. Got you. Yeah, I thought Brooklyn was popping. Like, I thought it was the <laughs> Manhattan. Like, damn, it's not you know, Staten uh, Island. Not for like Getty images. And it's so because Brooklyn's so trendy, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's trendy, but again, those people either want to be in the city. At that time, they wanted to be in the city or they wanted a celebrity to be there. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Because um, you hit up other events too. So you're all the way in Bedside, and then I have to go all the way back to the city. So <clears throat> that's how it was. But it really depends on like the location of your event. You know, the SDA has a um, 
has a name for itself as compared to doing it at a, a local business in Bed-Stuy. So can you also talk about collaboration with other brands that might be you know adjacent to whatever your brand is doing or related to it in any kind of way like you know have you seen the benefit of that with your clients um i would say more so i learned a lot from um, being the promotions manager at essence magazine uh where when we didn't have budgets um my director felicia martin hill would say okay you need to work on partnerships then so it's like oh we don't have a budget but guess what the partnerships might have more of a value than spending money um, on marketing or digital marketing. Right. So um, I think I just learned from uh, doing it there and the power of that and then kind of applying that to what I do now. But maybe I had done it before I joined Essence because for the Bedside Film Festival, the first year you helped me out, right? You sent out a blast and mm -hmm. I put your logo on the flyer. So that was ultimately co collaboration. But imagine doing that times five or times 10. Yeah. How do you, how, what are your thoughts on Instagram ads and YouTube ads, Facebook ads? How effective well, link, are they? LinkedIn ads don't work. What ads um, don't work? LinkedIn ads do not work. That's okay. a waste of money. Um, <laughs> You're letting us know that. Know. The best ads are Facebook and second best is uh, Instagram. Got wow. you. What, what do you I think about the way around? No, Facebook is really good. What do you think about YouTube ads? Like I, I was, I was looking in, I might answer the question right here, but I was looking into it and somebody, it was like a musician that posted, um, that actually the, it was, a it was like a rapper, an Indian rapper. And he had like hundreds of millions of views, but in the comments, it was just a bunch of people like, Oh, you paid for this. You paid for this. But it was like, pretty pretty embarrassing that to have that in your like half your comment section just being like you paid for this like you didn't earn this so yeah. i'm just curious to know what you how you feel about youtube ads honestly i probably should have started youtube like 12 years ago but i just didn't have the time or the bandwidth to like do twitter facebook um i actually have a huge pinterest following wow i get like 30 to 80,000 views on Pinterest a month. Wow. Yeah. That's dope. So I invested my energy in Pinterest, Facebook, and Instagram. So I kind of neglected YouTube. So I can't even comment on that. Mm -hmm. But I think content is king. And you should just make sure that you have different content across all of your pages. And whenever you can boost that content. Like, for example... I do a show called Cocktails with Nikki on Facebook and I boost it and I can get anywhere from a thousand listens to 3000 listens with a $10 investment. Mm. What's and, show? Again, I, and again, I learned that from being at Essence because we boosted our, our posts. Mm -hmm. What's your show about? The show I actually, <laughs> started the show as a joke because it's like what am I going to do on Friday night but it's just talking to people about you know what they're up to and like catching up with people that I know in the industry and kind of uh, I'm all about mutually beneficial relationships and like give and take and I try to include people who have supported me so I can give them a platform to share their story mm -hmm. and you know I'm all about just showing gratitude and appreciation for people who are like good-hearted and authentic and you know, have helped me throughout the years or supported. You know, sometimes people coming to your event means so much, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I want to celebrate those people who are consistent and who don't ask me for anything. Mm. Okay, well, before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you or just follow you and what you're doing? Yeah, also, oh. what, yeah, what services do you offer? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> okay, let me open up the website because I don't know by heart. You offer so many services you don't even know. <laughs> I kind of want to tell you in a logical order too, so it makes sense. Um, I try to do everything in order. Um, so we talked about the importance of branding. That's your first step, right? Mm -hmm. You have to create a brand. Secondly, if you have a brand, you would need a logo, right? So we offer graphic design. 
And then you would need the beginnings of like a press kit, right? Some kind of base that has your logo, you know, your bio, where can we find you, the services or whatever you're offering. Um, we do website design and SEO. So again, I talked about Pinterest and the power of that. I've been using Pinterest for since 2012. And I knew at that time that Pinterest would be a very powerful SEO tool. So most likely if you Google publicist, my Pinterest page will come up. And that was the goal. Uh, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Um, we draft press releases. We do copywriting and copy editing, meaning releases that we talked about before. Um, copywriting, meaning, um, you know, sometimes our clients need help with creating content for their website and then editing things that you've written media relations. So that's just managing media relationships. You know, you guys know people pitch you for the podcast, right? People are following up with you. It takes time setting up interviews, mm -hmm. uh, blogger and influencer relations. Sometimes people hit us up about, Hey, we want to do an influencer campaign, which is no different than collaborating, but it's getting them to post on their platforms. Uh, sometimes we have clients that have crisis issues and we help with that. Um, marketing with um, encounter PR, uh, social media marketing, events, and video. And we also do photo shoots. Wow. And, wh and what's, the, what's your website? Goodgirlpr.com. Thank you so much, Nikki. Um, we will, of course, be in touch with you. You are a friend of Black Film Space. So we just wish you the best with all your future endeavors, whether it's your new clients, existing clients, film festival, anything you got going on. Uh, just don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. I look forward to uh, continuing to build with you guys. And I'm so excited about your new subscription program. I think it's brilliant. Thank you. And I will be joining. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Nikki. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, bye Nikki. Thanks for listening to the Black Film Space podcast. This episode was co-executive produced by Gabrielle Charles and Sino Gibson and was edited by Marcus Rosendahl. If you're interested in being part of our community and attending events, please visit us at blackfilmspace.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Film Space. Subscribe to our email list and podcast. All right, see you soon. <laughs>